Wow, so many tears here, like a puddle. That was powerful, right? Thank you for that. <laughs> wow, Mary, thank you for sharing such a powerful and vulnerable testimony, right? Let's thank Mary one more time. Man. Seriously, there is something so powerful happening at this campus, Itaewon. And this really is, like Mary said, this is a covenant community. This is a family. So if you are new to our church, even if it's your first time, I want you to just get a taste of it. You know, this is a family. You can feel safe here. We welcome you to this family. And um, I have a powerful word that God released, God's going to release through me. So I heard Itaewon is going through the core value Whatever, I can't do that. The scratching, Marcus told me to do it, but um, I practiced all week. That's all I got. Remix, okay, I said it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, can't believe this is recorded, okay. The core value, remix. I'm going to preach from the third core value of our church called Father the Fatherless. Everyone say Father the Fatherless. And uh, Mary's testimony, man, it's just the best introduction ever into this sermon. So you guys, I really hope that you guys get blessed. And the moment some people, they hear the word father, some people just close their hearts. Oh, I know about that. I heard about that. Or they just don't want to talk about the issue or the, or even the term father. But I want to really encourage you guys to open up your heart and just let the word of God minister to you in a deep way today. So if you are ready to receive it, say I'm ready. ready. All right, good. Man, the devil knew that God had a powerful plan for today because I got brutally attacked by mosquitoes all night. Tell me one thing. My house does not have mosquitoes. All throughout the summer, I was never bit once. And last night, I got brutally. I got bit on my finger, bottom of my foot. How many understand that? That itchiness, that pain, man. But I'm going to preach through the itchiness. I need some supernatural grace, and or else I'm going to be scratching my foot, you know, in the middle of the sermon. That doesn't look good. So, But that just tells me, man, the devil knew something powerful was going to happen today, and it cannot stop me. So I'm going to preach the word. So fatherlessness, father the fatherness, let's, fatherless, no, father the fatherless, let's break it down a little bit. Fatherless, what does that even mean? So no one is technically fatherless. Right? Naturally speaking, everybody has biological father. No, no, no father means no child. You guys are all grown-ups, right? <laughs> Sexual education, you know how the baby is formed, right? No, no sperm, no baby, right? I said it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> naturally, biological father, every single human individual has a father, right? But what does it mean, fatherless child? It, in itself, it's oxymoron, right? It doesn't make sense. But fatherlessness, when we talk about it, it's an, this is my definition that I came up with, okay? When I say fatherlessness, I refer to a symptoms or issues that are caused by fathers abandoning their authority or abusing their authority, let me read it again. Fatherlessness is, refers to a symptoms or issues that are caused by fathers abandoning their authority or abusing their authority. 
So that explains the orphans, the true orphans that are abandoned by their parents. It's because the father chose to abandon, forfeit the authority that's given over this child. And he's saying, I'm going to step out. You have nothing to do with me. So there comes an orphan, a fatherless child. Now it makes sense, right? And one thing that we need to understand before we go further is that marriage and family is God's design. In every culture we see marriage, which is a family, it's because God has designed it that way. And if you read through Genesis, uh, the creation, and he creates Adam and he creates Eve, right? And then God puts them together as one, right? So there comes marriage. And then from them, the children is born, family. The concept of family and marriage is God's design. Have you ever wonder? you know, in the Bible, it says cleave from your parents and the form of family. Unite with your spouse, and then you become a married couple, right? But have you ever thought about that? Adam and Eve didn't have any parents to leave from. They never had to cleave from their family, right? But then why did God say that? I think it's for us to read later and understand that, hey, this is my design. That's how I created the things to be. You know, so that tells me that it's God's design. And God gave the headship of the family to the father in each household. And Bible makes it clear that the, the man, the husband, is the head of the family. I have no problem with that. The Bible says so. With that comes a large measure of authority upon men. The head of the family. Authority... That's the thing at stake right now. So if the father abandons or forfeit his authority, then the children under him will experience absence of the father, right? So when father is not stepping into his role, his responsibility, his authority as a father, as a headship, the children become vulnerable. They become prone to anxiety or fear and many things that will follow. On the other hand, if the father chooses to abuse the authority, then there is control issue in the family, and there will be some violence in the family, many different kinds of abuse in the family because the father chose to abuse the authority. You guys following me? And I'm here to say there are devastating effects and uh, damage that is being done because of this epidemic called fatherlessness. There are statistics, many of them that I could put from, that I'm going to skip because of time. But if you just look up fatherlessness, it will tell you how many fatherless children go to prison, how many of them drop out of the high school. All of the statuses you can, statistics you can find. Statistics. Let me correct myself. Statistics. I grew up here. So English is my second language. Thank you. Show me some grace. (laughs) But even the ones that look normal, that live a decent lifestyle that's working individuals, some Hagwon teachers maybe. You look fine, you look, everything's put together, but we all have symptoms that are caused by this fatherlessness. Let me explain further, okay? I'm not saying y'all are orphans or anything, but fathers function in the three main ways. So the first one is fathers are identity givers. They are the ones that give the identity to the children. Where, where did you get your last name from? Your father, right? I'm Myung Choi because my daddy is a Choi. Right? All over the world, you get your last name. You, you get your identity from your father. And he is a protector of the family, especially for the children that are vulnerable and weak. 
Your father is to function as a protector. Number three is the provider. Children cannot win bread, so the father goes out. I mean, in this society, it could look different. Mother could be the breadwinner. However, fathers are meant to provide for the family. So deprivation of identity happens when fathers choose to abandon or abuse the authority that's given to them. Children don't know who they are. Uh, They have issues in identity crisis. Many of us went through that when we were in puberty, right? Lack of confidence, um, self-hatred, self-low esteem, feeling of inadequacy. Have you ever felt that before? You're not good enough? Self-destructive behaviors uh, such as addictions, promiscuity, substance abuse, insecurities from different sorts, defensiveness, irrational fear, anxiety about future, inability to trust anyone, inability to receive love from anyone. The list goes on. All these things are caused by fatherlessness. Oh, no. How many times do you say fatherlessness? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> this <this-ness-ness. laughs> You know, all these things, you know, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your neighbor, you know. I'm talking about your neighbor, right? So all these things, surprisingly, it's a, it applies to everyone, whether you had a loving father or not. So maybe you had a really loving, great father. Um, so did I. I had a really awesome father that loved on me. However, that doesn't mean that you don't need this word. So you have to listen on. You know, the reason why I'm calling out these father problems, it's not to p- play the blame game. You know, it's all our dad's fault, faults, you know. They're bad. They failed us. It's not to play the blame game, but we have to check out the strategy of Satan. Why things are going down the way it is. Fathers get attacked because Satan understands God's structure of family better than we do as Christians. He has a really great insight and understanding of the family structure. So he knows that when the father goes down, the family is done. He understands that because Satan understands the authority. When I get him, everyone under his covering is done away with, you know? So Satan knows that and understands that concept. And he also knows that it perpetuates the situation, which means that it's going to reproduce the fruit of, the bad fruit of Satan's work. Fatherless son is more likely to produce fatherless sons in the future. If they don't know how to be fathered well, most likely they're going to grow up and they wouldn't know how to father well their children either. So this concept of generational curse, he has, Satan has a better understanding about that than the Christians. That's why Satan goes at fathers. Do you know who to attack? Is he going to attack the little one or the father? Or he's going to go for the father. But on the other hand, think about the church. Think about the people of God. Or think about the general people out there. We don't even recognize that God-given authority that is upon the father sometimes. We don't know how to encourage them. We don't know how to properly honor them. We don't even regard the generation of blessing as something serious. Or the covering that comes from the men of the household. Sometimes... We do such a poor job in honoring and showing honor to our fathers. And I believe that's why we have the situation that we have in our hands, the fatherlessness. And here, 
we're going to talk about how to solve this problem, right? I mean, we all know that it's there. I mean, we know that universally it is a problem. Everyone struggles with it. So then what's the solution? You want to hear the solution? Yeah. Very simple. From the Bible. Returning to the Father. Everyone say, return to the Father. So simple. Prodigal son's story, it's from Luke chapter 15. This father had two sons, and the younger son wanted his inheritance, and he took off and went to a land far away. He squandered all his wealth, and then he ended up working at a pig pen, eating the food that pigs eat, and then he realized, came back to his right sense and said, man, I need to go back to my father's house, because even the slaves in his household eat better than I do. Out of hunger, desperation, lack of covering, lack of protection, he decided that, oh man, I just got to go back to my father's house. I got to return to the father. It was that simple. Sometimes, think about Christians. If you, have, if you, if you know anyone that has uh, been backsliding, or maybe yourself, maybe you are walking away from the Lord, and maybe you have experience of walking back to the Lord, think about that. Some people... In their mindset, it's like, it's like this. Okay, I'm going to stop sinning. I'm going to stop breaking the rules. I'm going to stop um, breaking the laws. And I'm going to live the right life. I'm going to set it straight. What do, what do they mean by that? So a lot of times people coming back from uh, backsliding lifestyle, that's what they say. So I'm going to stop breaking the rules. So I'm going to have a moral life now. I'm going to come back to church. I'm going to do the right thing. Do you guys know anyone like that? That's usually how people come back to God. But what they're missing is that not only that they've been breaking the laws and rules, and of course that gets you into trouble. However, people miss the point that they've been breaking God's heart. And that is the bigger issue. Christianity isn't about breaking the law, so therefore there is punishment, and then the punishment is paid, so you're good now. That is the gospel, but sometimes we disregard that emotional part of the story. That God's heart has been broken because of your sin. And don't you think that, okay, now Jesus paid the punishment so good. Okay, God, you and me, we're straight. But then don't you think that there's got to be some sort of um, reconciliation? About breaking his heart. So don't just return to the set of rules. Don't just return to the moral life. But return to the father and his love. And what you got to go through is this big fat hug that the father is going to give you. And you know, this prodigal son, he came home. You know, all, all that he knew was, I just have to return to the father. That's all he knew. So, which he did. But he came, but he's thinking about what's gonna, how am I going to follow through? You know, do I tell him I'm not worthy to be your son anymore? So, please hire me as a slave and all this long speech. So, what happens after returning to the father? But then he never even got to finish his I'm sorry speech. What happens is the father runs from distance and gets him and son. Shut up. There's a festival waiting for you. We're going ki- to kill a fattened calf. And you're, we're going to throw a party for you. So let's go celebrate. You know, following steps are in the hands of the father. Don't think about, okay, from now on, I'm going keep to keep to this, keep to that. No, no, no. Return to that, to the father and the, the, the relationship with him. The intimacy and everything is meant to follow after that. 
So don't return to the set, set of rules. I don't like rules. I don't like laws. But I like intimacy, and I like running back to the Father. And this returning to the Father, we're going to talk about it a little more, but this core value has uh, twofold meaning when we say Father, the fatherless, and I think it applies to each individual in two different ways. So I'm going to talk about the first one first. First one is be fathered. Everyone say be fathered. Be fathered. I'm sure it, this applies to every single individual. Whether you consider yourself fatherless or not, whether you had a good father or bad father, doesn't matter. Everyone has to be fathered. And what I noticed is that most people, most people have distorted image of a father, twisted image of a father. So just think about it. When you hear a word father, what comes to your emotions? What are the feelings that you feel? What are the emotions that you can catch? Father. Dad, daddy, what comes to your heart? You know, distorted image of God, it's a lifelong journey of being able to see God in its fullness and perfect image of the Father God. You know, for us to see God, it's going to take time. You know, for, for us to see his glory, we are tasting it, but it's a lifelong journey to see him in his fullness. But just like that, as we approach the Father God, it's also a lifelong journey of Understanding that there are some parts in my mind that's distorted, that's not straight. And, and allowing the revelation of who God the Father is and allowing that to sort of like fix the wrongs and distortions and straightening your image of the Father. I grew up with a loving father. Um, he, he's definitely not a perfect father, but I, um, I really love him. He's, um, none of my family members uh, believe in Christ. So non-believing family, I, I, and I grew up in the city called Busan, Busan down in the south. And I grew up um, as a um, smartest kid in my family. Just a fact, just receive it, okay? <laughs> as a smartest kid in our family. Uh, my cousins, you know, didn't really like studying and all that. So my relatives and my parents had a very, very high view of me and had a very big dream about me, my future. So they all wanted me to be like famous writer and professor and all this stuff. But I grew up hearing that all the time. My parents are always proud of me, but they acted like they were, you know, like the humble, you know. No, no, no. She, she, she's smart. She, she's good, you know. But then they will all play it up. But then deep down, I was the biggest boasting of their hearts. So they will all, whenever family gathers, man, they, they, they somehow turn the conversation toward me, you know, and they end up talking about me and feel all proud, you know. And that was my family background. But then um, about five years ago, when I told my parents that uh, I decided to go to seminary and work for a church full time, be a pastor. By the way, my parents uh, thought I was becoming a nun. That's why they were very devastated. But nonetheless, they were, um, they were very devastated either way. Being a pastor and being a nun, in their mind, it's the same thing. Like, no greed for it. So I keep telling them I'm going to get married, but then my parents are very skeptical about it. Um, but we'll see. Pretty sure I'm going to get married. Hallelujah. Um, so my parents were devastated. I've never seen my parents cry like that. They were sobbing and weeping uh, because, you know. But five years have passed. Now my parents and I, we're good, but my mom's 
Fun background, the picture is my graduation photo from Ihua, which is my undergrad um, college. And uh, in my house, there are pictures of me hanging on the walls. It's all from my college days or pre-college days, as if time had stopped right there. And ever since, five years have passed and nothing has changed. My mom's phone background, pictures hanging on the wall, same thing. And after I sort of let them down, it looks like I became the topic that they want to avoid as much as possible. Relatives gather, they don't want to talk about me, obviously. They don't know what to say because none of them will understand what being a pastor means, serving God means. It just sounds like foolishness to them, right? So it feels like they're no longer proud of me as their daughter. And did it affect me? Of course it did. I love my parents. It affected me. Uh, and I've, even in my relating to my Heavenly Father, even growing up, it affected me a lot. I felt like, based on my performance, sometimes I felt like God was really proud of me. After preaching a bomb sermon, you know, God's like, good job, my daughter. But then after preaching a eh, sermon, I felt like I was like silent, maybe. Based on my performance, maybe how consistent my quiet time life is, based on that, I will feel far from God or I feel very close to God. And I had very fluctuating understanding of God's, I guess, God's heart toward me, about me. But however, the truth is, as I'm growing in the love of my Heavenly Father, is that my Father is always unchangingly proud of me. doesn't really matter whether I do things well or bad, but He always is so proud of me. And He's always and entirely pleased with me, just the way I am. And my process, my failures, etc. He is always proud of us. He's always pleased with us. See, see that distortion that I had in my head? Very subtle. And growing up, another thing was I hated, uh, I hated it whenever my parents would spend money on me. Any money. Unless it was absolutely essential, such as textbooks and school uniforms. I used to stop them and yell at them about spending money on anything related to me. Clothes, books, education, all the hagwons. You know, if all the kids are like me, your hagwons are going to go out of business. I said, I'm not going to go to hagwon. I'm not going to let you spend money on me or my education. So that was, was me. Weird, right? It's because I felt like I was a financial burden to my parents. I grew up seeing my parents financially struggle. My dad, he fixes cars. He makes some money, but not a whole lot. It's different than America. I heard if you fix cars in America, you make some good money. Is that true? Maybe I'm going to tell my, my dad to go to America or something, Canada or, you know, I don't know. But uh, in Korea, it's one of the 3D jobs, you know. Um, so that was my um, background. And uh, because I saw them always financially struggle, um, it just planted a strong image of my father always striving to provide for the family. Always heavily burdened, weary, worn out. Money, money, money. Oh, I've got to pay for this, pay for that. When I was... And then um, it definitely affected me in every way. Uh, even when I became a college student, I... I was 
very poor. I was broke to the point where I didn't have anything to eat. But I never, not never, I did it a couple of times, but I never asked for, not never. I <laughs> rarely asked for money from my parents. I would rather just starve myself, you know, things like that. And even when I started support raising as a pastor, I realized that I struggle with that a lot. God being my provider. Uh, am I worthy of the money that I'm earning from all these church people? You know, oh man, Sonia supporting me $50 a month. Am I even worthy of the money? I will struggle with concepts like that. But the truth is, God is a God of abundance. He doesn't lack anything. Everything is from him and it's for him. All silver, all gold, it belongs to him. He's rich. He's very well off God. And he loves providing for me. He loves spoiling me with his abundant blessings. He likes it when I go eat a good meal. Hallelujah. And when he provides for me, it's not a burden for God, but he delights in meeting my needs. He delights in that. So I don't know. Maybe some of you have gone through this. Maybe there's that little distortion. You know, God has to provide for me because, you know, I'm here. But really, God takes delight, deep, deep delight in providing for every single need of yours. Financially, emotionally, physically, it's his delight. He loves doing that. Amen? And as I just share some of my stories, reflect upon your own life. And I noticed that when people share about their upbringings and image of their fathers or whatnot, there are two extremes, I figure. One extreme is that they just show a lot of grace to their parents, which is beautiful. But it's like justifying everything that happened without facing the reality. So it, they are, uh, you know... They, they had terrible parents themselves. You know, I understand. They had no choice. Situation was tough. But they're not facing the reality that what they have done to you is not right. You know, the abuse that happened. I mean, yeah, my dad was alcoholic. He didn't have any better father. So I understand, you know, it's just how it went down. But it's good to show your parents grace, but you also have to face the reality. And you got to hear God telling you, hey, what happened to you is not okay. That is my, not my heart. You got to hear God say, what happened to you is not right. Your father misrepresented my love for you. You have to hear that. You can't just say, it's all good now. It's all past. Can't justify it like that. God's not okay with that, guys. Another extreme was that victim mentality. I'm the victim. It's all my father's fault. The reason why I've turned out this way, it's all on him. So just blaming everything on the father. You know, blame is something that you do when something is absolutely not redeemable. It's unchangeable. The damage is done. So let me find who's responsible and who's got to take the blame. But we're talking about you and you are not a victim. You are not an unredeemable, unchangeable thing that's already been finished. But you are. God's turning you into a victor. You're not a victim. You're becoming a victor. And it's not the time to talk about the blame yet because the story is not, not finished yet. It's not the time to talk about who to blame. It's time to see God changing you and turning you into a victor. In more recent days, I've 
I'm also learning that what, of, what affects, affects our image of a father is more than just personal experiences. So the other day, I was reading a news article, a neighbor, and there was an article about a son in his early 20s, brutally stabbed his, his father multiple times to death while he was sleeping. He grew up seeing his father physically abuse his mother for all these years. And one night, he just decided to kill him. There were hundreds of comments below that article, hundreds. And I decided to look through some of them. First one, you know, it's kind of like Facebook. So the more it gets likes, and you can do like or unlike on that website. So he has like mad likes and unlikes on each comment. And the most popular one says, he, the father is less than a human. You did a great job, son. Something along that line. And thousands of likes. Under 100 dislikes. Can you guys believe that? Shocked me. So I scroll down to other comments. Second one saying the same thing. He, son is innocent. Release him. He didn't do anything wrong. I would have done the same thing. Man, I wish I could follow your, your whatever, heroic pattern or, you know, all those comments. I scroll down and down and down for like 10, 20 minutes. Cannot find a single comment that's pointing out what went wrong. All talking about, it's good that he's dead. Son is innocent. Well, listen. So, so this culture in Korea... The, what do you even call it? Animosity? Is that the word? The hatred, the resentment against the father image is so strong. It's undeniably so strong. And because we live in this land, it does affect us. And as a native Korean, I could testify that, man, when my friends talked about their fathers, all negative stuff. Nobody talks about anything good. You know, then you feel like a black sheep almost. No wonder people mock Christians when we call God our father. Oh, yeah, your father God. You know that mocking? It's because the image and reputation of a fatherhood has been greatly tainted by the society and the culture. By the way, I didn't find any comment that said something about the situation. I gave up. People that grew up in Confucian, um, Confucianistic culture, is that a word? <laughs> you guys got me, right? This kind of Korea, Japan, like this Asia, Asian culture, and even other cultures, I think, have some of this as well. We're very, very familiar with the concept of being disowned. I think some, maybe some Caucasian friends, friends from North America are not as, maybe not as familiar to this concept, but we are very, very familiar with this. Like, Koreans will understand that we will blot you out, blot out your name from the family registry. Yeah, we're going to dig out your name. You know, from that document, being disowned is not an unfamiliar concept to a lot of Koreans. If you disappoint your parents or bring shame to your family, you will be for sure disowned. Which means your parents are going to live like they never had you ever. That's why Korean kids, when they feel like they're not measuring up to their parents' expectation or feel like failures or struggle with 
unworthiness or unworthiness that's like such an epidemic in this land because this is the culture and society that they live in and of course this affects their view of father therefore father god but the truth is in the bible what does he say well i i will never forsake you i will never leave you right bible makes it very clear no one can take you away from the love but this society and this culture keeps telling them if you disappoint them you're going to be disowned if you do that you're you, you're done with your family you know very distorted image caused by cultures and societies you know, all of these cases, you should really allow the truth of the Father to overtake the lies, overtake the false beliefs about fatherhood in this culture and society. I think what we need to do is we got to identify what the distortions are in our own hearts, in our own minds. Because I grew up in certain, certain culture, because I saw certain cases, because I heard my friends' stories, this fear, that fear... I don't know, random gaps that you have. Father God and the image of Father that's in my head. How wide is that gap? How distorted is your image of Father to the perfection of the Father God? And some deep things, I think, are rooted in our personal experiences with our own Father, but also these cultural, social norms and the influence of media, how the Korean drama portrays the family, and the Confucianism and all of that, no matter what the reason is, identify those distortions and we got to replace them with the true image of the Father. Amen? And this will involve um, being fathered through the Word of God. Because you will only find out who the Godfather is through the Word of God. You have to be fathered through the Word, through the sermons, through the studying of the Scripture, and through father figures in your life, your pastor. Your, I don't know, father figure professors, maybe <laughs> some teachers, father figures that are there in your life. You have to be fathered through them. And I'm here to tell you it's a lifelong process. I'm not saying this as someone that is done with the process. I'm saying this as someone that is in the process. This process will involve being reminded of what you didn't want to remember, some traumas, maybe, unlocking. Uh, what has been suppressed in your heart for years. Some people, when they actually really start seeking the right image of God, people will all of a sudden remember the things that they didn't even know that they remembered from their childhood. Suppressed memories will come back by the grace of God. Because children, they can't handle traumas. That's why there is something called suppression. God just suppresses it down with his grace. And then later on, when you are mature enough to deal with things, it just comes back to your mind. And God graciously deals with it and heals you out of that. So it's not just anything, you know, abnormal. It, it happens. And it also involves forgiving your earthly father. It will involve receiving inner healing. It will involve lots of tears, let me remind you. Waking up to your own emotions that you haven't tapped into for years, maybe. These things are involved in this process. But this is a lifelong journey that is a beautiful journey. At the end, what's going to wait for you is your intimate relationship, undistorted understanding of the love of the Father God. And that's something that 
you will die for. It's something that's unthinkable, unimaginable. No distortion, perfect image of the Father that loves me. And there's nothing else. You know, that's something that's worth running toward. And then the second um, dimension of this father, the fatherless core value, I believe, is literally, the first one was what? Be fathered yourself. And the second one is obviously father the fatherless. Freely you receive and now you freely give. So pretty much what's been done to you, you're going to go out and do it to other people. I'm going to turn to John chapter 14, verses 5 to 9 quickly. I'm going to read it from ESV. This is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. John 14, verses 5 to 9. Let me read it for you. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him, and uh, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen, seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? And then it goes on. Let me just cut there because of time. Jesus is saying here, If you know me, you know the Father. And he says that I am the way. You know, we always sing this verse, you know, in one way Jesus, right? One way Jesus, he's the way, but he's the way to who? Way to the Father. So he said, I'm the only way to the Father. That's what we've been singing, you know, growing up. So fathering means, Jesus explains here, you are not the father. You are not. But he's saying Jesus was not the father either. He said he was the pointer to the father. Jesus was the one that pointed others to the father. He was the way to the father. So Jesus' business and ministry was to reveal the father God to the world. You know, even in the natural, sons look like their fathers, right? Daughters as well. Sons. I look like my dad. My dad has a really long face, and I, I got it from him. And many other things. <laughs> I look like my dad. And I, sons act like their father. You, you become what you behold, you know? You grow up with your dad, then you're going to become like him. You talk like your dad, and Jesus, he makes it clear that I only do what my what I see my father do. So he says, I only say what my father says, and I do only what my, dad, my, my, my father does. You know? So he says, if you saw me, you have seen the father. So I think it's important for us to remember that father the fatherless doesn't mean that we are the father. We are simply pointer to the father. We got to be the way to the father. So John 14, 5 to 9, we read it already. It says, so Jesus is pretty much saying, hey, you've already seen the Father because I'm the perfect manifestation of him. You have seen the, the Son, that means you saw my Father. And, and a lot of believers think here, they think, yeah, that's the problem that I'm facing. Because 
disciples saw Jesus face to face, right? And a lot of us think that, man, I wish I was born in Jesus' time so that I could have some face time with him. Have you ever thought about that? When you ask people, if you could live in any era of the history, where would you want to be born? Like, a lot of good Christians, they say, oh, I, I, I want to be born in the same time period where Jesus was on the earth. Have you guys ever thought about that? Do you want to? Do you want to be in the same time? If you ask me, I'll say no. Heck no. Reason is this. What we have right now is the best. And it's according to the Bible, what we have is the best. Let me explain. Jesus said, it's good and beneficial for you that I'm leaving and I'm going to the Father. Because after I leave, who's going to come? The Holy Spirit will come and he will teach you everything, right? And even if you were born in that, in that area, let's say, what, 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 what is the Sea of Galilee? Let's say you were there as Jesus was healing the sick, okay? But if you read carefully, there were thousands of people, like crowds and crowds of people following Jesus everywhere. That probably even if you were there by the lake, you wouldn't have been able to even touch him or talk to him, have any face time with him, right? And let me remind you, they did not have the Holy Spirit yet. And let me remind you, they didn't have the physical copy of the Bible. They had the law, the Old Testament, the Torah. However, they didn't have the recollection of what Jesus did, what Jesus said, what Jesus taught. They didn't have this. So what we have, the Holy Spirit that teaches us everything and the recollection of everything that Jesus has done and his teachings and words is in my hand. We have it way better today than Jesus' time. So don't ever think about going to his time. That's a poor choice. So don't tell me I have never seen Jesus. Excuse me, you have it better than the people that actually saw him in person. So you can't say that as an excuse. So you have seen Jesus, you have met him, you know the truth. That means you have seen the Father. That you have understanding of the Father God. God's turning us into image of a son. You know, if you ask any Christian, what's the purpose of your life, you know, uh, it's to become more like Jesus every day. Is that your confession? Is that your heart? Right? We want to become, like none of you want to be, <laughs> we all want to be turned into the image of his, the Son, you know, becoming like Jesus Christ. That is, yeah, one of the big purposes of our lives. Like, I'm, 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 I'm on it with you. God is turning us into the image of a son, a perfect image of a son like Jesus Christ. That means when the world sees you, they don't just see you, but they see the Father. Because you are the pointer to the Father God. Your life is pointing people to the Father God. We are in the same business that Jesus was in. We are here to reveal the Father, reveal his nature, reveal his love to the world. Father will be revealed not through trees, not through anything. The Father will be revealed through the sons of God. And that is who we are. I'll end with this. Joseph's story in Genesis. Joseph is my favorite but biblical character is because he, he really knew who he was as a son. 
His father Jacob, uh, his sonship to his father Jacob was strong. So Joseph was one of the 12 sons that Jacob had. And his sonship to Jacob was very strong. He understood. And the favor of the father Jacob was upon Joseph. You know, he wore that, um, the, the garment of many colors, which represent favor from the father. And he understood it. But at the beginning of Joseph's life, you know, he appears to his brothers and say, you know, all this little, he was little um, boy, right? <laughs> but he, he was immature kind of son. So he's understanding that I'm a son, I'm a beloved son, I am favored son. He's understanding his identity pushed others away from the father. So when he showed up in the beautiful coat and said, oh, I'm his favorite son, you know, you guys are all going to bow to me, blah, blah, blah. How did the sons react to that? Hatred, jealousy, and actually Joseph ended up pushing his brothers away from the love of the father. And then he ended up being sold to slavery and went to the land of Egypt and all these things happened, right? And over the time, he luckily matured, praise God. Joseph went through so much suffering in the prison, in Potiphar's house, and he finally matured as a man. And he's different. Toward the end of the Genesis, if you read his story, toward the end, now he's the second-hand man in Egypt, and he runs every distribution of food and all that during the time of famine. And he finds out that his brothers have come to get food from, food, you know, for the family. And now Jacob, I mean, not, uh, not Jacob, Joseph, he, he's understanding that he's a son, favorite son. It hasn't changed. However, that sonship brings others into the family. So he now knows how to take care of the family. He know, now feeds the brothers and brings on the family, provides the land for the family to dwell in. And now his sonship is one that's bringing others into what he has. Let me word it better than this. So if you see some people, some Christians, they know that they are royalty. I'm a princess of God. God's favor is all upon me. And if your understanding of sonship ends there, people are going to hate you. Let me tell you that. (laughs) People are not going to like you, number one. And your friends will not want to become one of you. That's all full of yourself. Oh, I am favorite daughter of God. How dare you talk to me like that? I don't know. I met some immature Christians like that. I'm royalty. I am favored. And you are not. Pretty much that's what they're saying. You know, they're immature sonship to God. It's all about me and my father that you don't care about other brothers and sisters. And that pushes other people away from the father. But as you mature, how do they change? They have security. They understand that I'm a favorite son. I have that love of the father. They are secure. However, they don't push others away. Instead, they bring in other people. Hey, I am secure. I am healed. You know, God's favor is upon my life. And if you want this, come into the family. And they know how to feed their brothers and sisters. And it become, it, the, those people become like Joseph for the later chapters of Genesis. And that's what we are called to become like. You know, when I really want the world to see me and be able to see the Father, 
through me, my friendship, my ministry, I want people to be able to feel the love of the Father, me being the pointer. Me accepting someone, I want it to be a pointer to the Father that accepts. Like when I release the healing power, I want it to be a pointer to the power of the Father. He, that, that He's love. I want to be a pointer and a way. And that is a calling for the sons of God. That's exactly what Jesus did, and that's the mantle that I'm going to wear for a lifetime. I don't do this for my own good. I do this so that I could point people to the Father that loves them unconditionally. The cry of this world is very simple. Everyone, their heart cries out, show me the Father. These disciples, they had Jesus with them for three years, but their cry was the same. Just show us the Father, and there will be enough for us. Can you just show us? And Jesus says, no, you have seen him because you have seen me. Through the Son, you have seen the Father. And the mantle is upon us now. When the word cries out, where is the Father? Show me the Father. Then you simply say, hey, see what he has done in my life. Look at me and let me point you to my loving Father and come into the family. Welcome them into the family. So it's... That's, that's what it is. Romans 8, 19, I love this verse. It says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation, everything is crying out, reveal the sons so that the father can be revealed through them. You know, Christians, we often think I got to behave. I got to act like a Christian just for the sake of doing it. No, it's because you guys are divinely appointed by the Father. Sons of God, reveal my heart. My sons, my daughters, how is the world going to see my love? It's through you. Point them to me through your action, through your words, through your love. Point them to me and bring the brothers and sisters into the home. Let's take some time to pray together.